Well, welcome to another episode of Off the Record, a candid, casual conversation about life and culture and church. And uh, today we're continuing our uh, conversation around the book of Revelation. And uh, we've been talking a little bit a couple Sundays ago in Revelation chapter 12. We had the introduction of really the history and the story of, of Satan and the demons and where this all began. And so we want to continue to talk a little bit about that today. And And really the goal is to not only hopefully give some clarity, but just give some balance as we think about this as we go. And so to help uh, do that today, I'm really blessed and very thankful. I've got my good friend Jeff Miller, who is our district superintendent, uh, for joining us today. And uh, Jeff, thanks for being here. It's a real honor to be with you, Brian. Thanks for the opportunity. You bet. Well, I'm looking forward to this. And uh, Jeff and his wife are uh, lead a small group here at Lex City, and I'm so grateful for somebody that has a large district responsibility that he is so plugged into the local church. And so thanks for being here. And, and uh, I think your love for that uh, really has made a difference in our in our church family. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. But actually, we find it to be a good journey in our direction. We've enjoyed having a home in Lex City, and we've enjoyed the ministry of you and your team. Um, serious and fun. It's been a real blessing to us. Uh, thanks. Well, Jeff joins our staff basketball every Thursday, and so that's part of the joy. We can't go without talking about that and the the killer jumper from the baseline. This man is automatic, so a man of God that can shoot an 18-footer is a pretty impressive thing. It's amazing what happens if, as long as nobody covers me, but if you play defense, then it's all over because I have like a two-inch vertical leap. That's all. Well, the beauty is nobody on our staff plays defense, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> this is so true. Oh. We laugh a lot. We have a good time, and it's good for the soul. It is good for the soul. Friday, we get out of bed a little slower, but Thursday is a glorious, glorious day. Well, today, uh, we're talking about really a challenging topic about how do we think about this idea of angels and demons. And so, uh, Jeff and I want to take some time and share with you just some perspectives. And just to remind you, it's like this whole series we've done. I'm reminded that the Scripture, unfortunately, doesn't have a lot of verses dealing with this that give great clarity where we can uncertain without, you know, with no uncertainty say, thus says the Lord on this topic. So we are really put with trying to understand the context of scripture in its entirety. We're putting into this some of our own thoughts and opinions. And so as you hear this today, uh, there is a little bit of context to that. But it's an important con- concept to talk about because C.S. Lewis put it this way that I think is so true. He says, you know, humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil. Some take him too seriously and others do not take him serious enough. And I think that is a perspective I certainly have seen in my life. Growing up, we didn't talk about it at all to the absence of it. And I've also been in context in church context where it seemed like it became a consuming thing that was a little out of balance. So Jeff, you've been in ministry a long time and uh, seen uh, a lot of different contexts for this. So as we kind of begin this conversation, what's been your perspective and what have you found to be healthy as we think about a balanced approach to thinking on these things? Yeah, well, thank you. I, 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 <clears throat> I grew up in a situation much like you, Brian, where we didn't talk about a lot. I mean, it was certainly acknowledged that there's a devil, that there's demons. We believed in all those things, but practically speaking, I mean, if anything would have ever manifested in some way, uh, we would have freaked out. And, you know, it wasn't until I was a teenager and read my first Frank Peretti book that opened my eyes to something in a whole new world. And even, you know, it's a fictionalization, but it's like, oh, wow, there's a world of evil out there to take as seriously as we take the world of good and righteousness. So true that that book, This Present Darkness, really was transformational, I think, for many people just to be open to have a conversation about it. Yeah. Very true. Um, 
What I do find, in, at least in, in our tribe, in the circles that maybe we run in, is that a lot of times we give lip service to the reality of it, but we, we don't really know how to wade into it. To be honest, I think there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear of the unknown. I, I get it. I feel it myself. Uh, and I think it's something I'm reminded that we do need to take seriously. We, it's amazing. We'll take seriously other things. Um, we were talking about this before some, that the idea of if I have a medical problem, I take that seriously. I'm going to go get some help. If I have a behavioral problem, I want to take that seriously. I'm going to go get some counseling. If I have a deep spiritual problem, a stronghold, something I just can't break, or I'm, to be honest, I'm hearing voices, I'm being guided into something, I'm, I'm, there's an influence that I cannot seem to shake. I have a spiritual problem. We don't quite know what to do with that sometimes, like we do with a behavioral or a medical, physical problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is so true. And so we tend to compartmentalize it or deny it and, and go away. And I think as we have been doing this study as a church family in the book of Revelation, the reality of angels and demons and Satan himself, uh, you can't deny the influence. And we see this in the latter part of the book here now, this this connection where we do have a we war not against flesh and blood, uh, but against principalities and, and things yeah. we see. I appreciate it so much, by the way, how how balanced and well you covered that in your message. I, thank you. That's I would long to hear more of that, where we do take it seriously, but we also remember that we're victorious. Uh, the end is already written. We know where this thing lands. Um, but for some reason, God, in ways that you and I can get in line and ask him in heaven someday, um, he's allowed there to be this journey of evil influence in the world. And sometimes I think, like here in the West, we tend to think that these things of evil are strictly for other places, other countries, places that would not be as advanced, as educated, as whatever, as we think we are. If they were as sophisticated as us, this would not be an issue. That's exactly. I, we would never quite say that out loud, but that's really how we practice what we think. Actually, I think that we ought not to be surprised that the enemy of our souls is incredibly ingenious and intelligent, um, deceptively so. Uh, he doesn't create anything new, but he knows how to work the system. And so here in the West, where we think we're so sophisticated, he just plays a more sophisticated, different kind of game. It doesn't look the same as in other places, but we'd be foolish to think that it's not real and doesn't exist. Yeah, that's a great that's a great perspective. So, Jeff, if we have these two spectrums where we tend to not think about it at all and almost deny the existence of it, and then we have this other side where there almost seems to be a consuming, we're looking really for the demon behind every rock and in every circumstance. And if we're not careful, some of that, let's go to that extreme position to the right on that. Some of that then puts fear into our hearts and we begin to see, you mentioned this a little bit, but what counsel would you give to somebody who's listening today and saying, I, I feel like maybe I'm consumed with this at an unhealthy level, and it really is creating fear and anxiety in me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, first of all, the Bible tells us on purpose that we ought to test the spirits. So we're actually given the ability to pray, discern. God will give us wisdom. James tells us we lack wisdom. We ought to pray for it. Um, I, there's a, a guy in our tribe, Rob Reamer, who does some work on all this, and a wonderful speaker and author and uh, I've learned a lot from him, but his reminder is there's things that we don't know about, but 
we know one who does, Jesus. He has it all figured out, and when we feel like we're stuck or lost, we ought to ask him. So we don't need to go either freaking out or ignoring. Either way, we actually just seek out the Lord and see what he would say to us. I think there's actually good counsel to say that we don't need to go seeking the issues of the demonic. They'll reveal themselves. I, I don't, you know, I, I do some regular physical checkups, but for the most part, if if a medical issue presents itself, I go get help for it. If a behavioral issue presents itself, I go get counseling for it. In some ways, whether it be with our friends or whatever, we don't necessarily need to go seeking all the demonic stuff. If it's the right time, if it's of the Lord, he'll reveal those things. And, and then we do need to do something about it wisely, biblically. But we don't have to go manufacturing it or finding it or freaking out about it. We can actually be amazingly calm, amazingly trusting, amazingly anchored in our Savior about it. Yeah, that's a great, great insight. And I think really a wise word of counsel there because there are some, and I've shared, I've dealt with some folks who just who have a propensity and they're wired. And so they have become, again, a lot of time on YouTube on this is not healthy for you over a period of time. And I think there's, you'll know, sometimes we move from, I want to learn to I'm becoming obsessed. And if it begins to really, like you say, play this predominant part in your thinking, in your mind, and you're running everything through this one single grid, uh, it, it's there. And so for some that feels some anxiety, that would be one question I would ask of you is, you know, what are you inputting into your own heart and into your own mind and your own learning process in this? And have you done that at an unhealthy level that's really becoming a consuming thing? I could add, too, as well, you know, we read through the Bible. The demonic world's very present. You read the four, the four Gospels. I mean, Jesus faced it all the time. But you never have a sense of panic, of defeatism, of even anger or there's anger about the effect on people but not like you know we've so much the movies have informed how mm. we do that right and we think of people screaming and yelling at the demons to come out and you know jesus just basically looks at them and says i have authority over this and you have to go and we actually are being granted that same authority it doesn't help to yell at demons it doesn't help to scream it doesn't help to panic and tackle people and run left and right. We actually, in the calm assurance of who Jesus has made us to be, have the ability when the time presents itself to address these things. And if it doesn't present itself, we have plenty of other things to do. We just can be really calm and balanced about this, anchored in the, the identity of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And today, if you find yourself in that area, though, where this has been so much anxiety, you know, I think Jeff's words are so powerful and encouraging is is to really seek some help and to find somebody just to begin to continue to speak truth to you in that balanced perspective. I so, would I would add to that, Brian, that in the same way, there are some people who are more gifted at preaching and teaching than others. There's some doctors that are more gifted in certain specialties than others. All of us have authority, not of our own selves, but of Jesus in this kind of a demonic issue or world. But some people actually have more experience, more training, and, and that doesn't make them better or more important. But in the same way, I would want to go to the best counselor, the best doctor. I also want to find somebody to help me if I have a problem, a spiritual demonic problem, who actually knows what they're doing. It's actually one of the things that's important for us as a church to go, 
there are medical schools are presenting doctors are are we're training up counselors in other places are we actually raising up a group of people who know how to handle this in the balanced way that you're describing brian in the balanced way that you brought in your message on that recent sunday and if so can we bring some people to the table who can help our people who legitimately do have a need yeah but do it the right way that's so good if you're here at lex city I encourage you we do have a uh deliverance ministry here that helps in this area and that link will be at the bottom of the page and an opportunity if you ever want to connect with somebody um, to really have that kind of a conversation so we we know that the validity and the realness of what it is and uh, to be aware and yet not fearful in that well Jeff I've got you here and uh, so I want to leverage just some of your uh, wisdom and uh, experience through the years and folks have been submitting questions that I think may relate to some of the things that we're talking about here and so we want to take a little bit of our time here today to, to answer some of those questions and one of the questions that I get pretty regularly and certainly was one that came in here is kind of dealing on this topic that we were just talking about when it comes to the life of a believer and the influence of demons the question is simply this can a demon can a Christian be possessed by a demon is the question. And how have you, uh, how do you understand that, that question? I appreciate the question. I think it's a great question because we know that Romans 8 9 tells us that if we have Christ, we are actually the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're told by Paul in 1st and 2nd Corinthians where our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus. But it, it's interesting. I will say this. The people throughout Scripture that we talk about, the context of a whole lot of talk about demonization is actually the followers of God, that there is stuff going on of demonic influence in the life. We know that that's true of people who aren't following God, but you actually don't find demonic world being removed or kicked out of people who are, to be honest, not following God. They 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 need to come to a place of meeting God and then being cleaned up. That's true of their practices of life and so much more. We don't make people have everything figured out, and then they come to Jesus. Right. They come to Jesus, and Jesus works to clean them up. And that's the context of a lot of Scripture. Uh, there's even places, uh, James, I think it's chapter 3 would be an example, would talk about when we face bitterness in our life. James says it actually has demonic roots. Um, so there's... I like how one author, um, several as a matter of fact, have actually worded this way. Let's toss out the phraseology of, of possession and so forth. Let's talk about demonization. Sometimes it's hard to think about that we could be inhabited by. That's what we often think about right. with possession. Maybe we think about it, and this would actually, this was actually the imagery that Frank Peretti used in his book all those years ago. Um, think about being strapped on by demonic influence that some we have somehow, whether intentionally or unintentionally, allowed the enemy to have turf in our life. He's like jumped on our back, got his claws into our shoulder, and is hanging on and influencing us in the most horrible ways. We can debate whether we call that oppression or possession or influence. or whatever. Let's just call it what the Bible does, demonization. And I need to be free from that. I need to be free. So somehow sin, self, yeah. somehow I've made choices. Not every sin allows there to be demonization. We ought not to run to the extremes, right? Let's be balanced. Not every sin is demonic. 
But sin practiced over time can open doors, certain sins even more than others. Sometimes they're of our own foolish choices, and we've given the enemy turf. Sometimes they're, they're choices we didn't make, but others made for us. There is a whole demonic world out there, and there's a whole occult world and, and all kinds of things that can be passed, even generationally and so forth. Not every time, not in every person, but occasionally it can happen, and we need to be willing to address that. So I like to think of it as demonization, some sort of uh, turf that the enemy has that we need in the power of Jesus by the shed blood of our Savior to tell them to be gone, that they will no longer have place in this. Yeah, it's good. That's that picture of, yeah, taking back ground. Mm-hmm. But I think I love where you started there. The encouragement, I think, for us as followers of Jesus, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us and dwells within us. And so if you find that thing of fear, like I'm going to lose myself, the beauty is, listen, the Holy Spirit lives within you and gives you the power, the authority to have victory in this area. So these things that come upon us, this idea of connecting and latching on, you know, this kind of idea uh, becomes very real. But I'm always reminded as a follower of Christ, the victory is mine That's right. in those. And uh, I don't have this point of, I think, like you say, terminology, those words matter, this idea of possession, like the enemy would come in and have direct and complete control over my thoughts and actions. We don't see that in the life of the believer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives within us and, and through us. Yeah. In, in every situation of, of life, whether it's demonization or anything else, ultimately we as followers of Jesus, we have the ultimate authority. We, we have the ultimate control. Nobody gets to say, the devil made me do it, right? That, that's not going to fly. The devil may have had a massive influence in my life, may have influence in ways that are just horribly dreadful. But at the end of the day, I get to choose whether I want to move toward Jesus or away from him. But I would also add that sometimes people, it's like, oh, they like to think, I, I can't be demonized. I can't have any effect of the enemy because I am a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit. I go, well, you know, Brian, you and I, we became followers of Jesus. And I, I think, I know our wives would vouch for this, that we're not perfect people. Mm-hmm. Um, that just because I have the Holy Spirit residing in me, I still make selfish choices. I still sin sometimes. I still have... Crazy things happen to me, things that feel unfair sometimes. Bad things happen to good people, right? So all these things of a fallen world can affect me. Why would I think that the demonic world can't affect me? Now, can it take me to the extreme you're talking about? No, but it can certainly have a, a very legit and real effect that I want to be set free from, and I want everybody I'm around to be set free from. And there is always freedom because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So good. Yep. First John 4, 4. If, you, if your heart is full of anxiety, that's a great little verse to just put on a little 3 by 5 card and tape it up uh, on your mirror every morning. Be reminded that victory comes within you. Yeah, great great answer for that. A couple other questions we've had come in. Uh, one of them is, is this area of guardian angels. Uh, mm-hmm. Does every Christian, does every soul have a guardian angel uh you know, assigned to them for their life? Or uh, what do you think about that? And how do we think about, there's a principle of it. We know that angels are ministering spirits, but how do we think about that when it comes to a specific one to each individual? It's a great question. Uh, There's, 
one of the things, Brian, I, I appreciate about you, you've reminded us often in your Sunday messages that we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture, that we need to be wise in our hermeneutic, which means how we study the Word and so forth. So you've given us as a church family good instruction on that. So here, sometimes people have built a whole case out of one verse in Matthew 18. It, it says in Matthew 18, it's talking about children, and it says, they're angels. Uh, and you could absolutely read that as that every child, at least, has a guardian angel. That's one way to look at it. And that might be true, by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to say that there are not guardian angels or specific angels assigned to you and me and our children and so forth. That may be true. I'm not sure we can build a whole angelology, a whole study and understanding of angels in relation to this out of simply one sentence in one verse. There are certainly other places in the Psalms and so forth that talks about angels and how they care for us, they minister to us, they fight for us, and so forth. So there's, you've already hinted at that, they're ministering angels. I don't understand all of it. I know that angels don't simply play harps and roam around in the sky. Mm -hmm. They have a job. They have a responsibility. They're messengers. They're warriors. They they go about the bidding of God the Father. Now, I don't understand all of even that because God the Father has all power. He could just do at his thought anything he wants. But God, both with his created angels and with us humans, has chosen a pathway where we get to be involved with him in his kingdom work. And angels get to do that. That is clear whether they have a specific person assignment and a little bell rings every time, like in a great Christmas movie that we have, I'm not ready to make a full commitment to that, though it's a possibility. Yeah, that's great insight. I think for parents, too, we think we're worried about our children. You said it so well. Angels do minister to us. They protect. They care. So the moment your child needs it, it's what the Lord has for you. They'll have that that covering and that protection there. It tells us, uh, you know, in Hebrews, that sometimes we've entertained angels unaware. We just don't even know. Um, my wife and I are on a trip once, um, driving in the middle of the night, because it was always better to drive at night when my kids were younger. They could mm-hmm. sleep. I, I enjoyed the drive a whole lot more. We were in southern New Jersey on our way to, to North Carolina, driving through. It's 1 in the morning. Now it's Sunday morning. And suddenly my car sounded like a tank, lost half its power. I limped off to a gas station at an exit. And I'm, I did what every man like me does. I opened the hood and I stared at my car, having no, <laughs> no idea, idea what to do. I, what to do. Yep. I didn't even know what the problem was. I'm, though I'm at a gas station, I'm not at a garage. I were in, it's, there's not a place that's open. It's actually Sunday morning. Nothing's open till Monday, right? We're just toast. And my wife is in the car. She prayed. I'm While I'm there, I just happened to pull under the light, the brightest light I could find. I didn't notice that it was right next to the air pump. And so at 1 in the morning on a Sunday morning, uh, suddenly a car pulls in beside me, and he puts air in his tires. And, I mean, who does that? Why is he there? And he, he looks over at me and says, hey, sounds like you threw a plug. I'm like, all right, what's a plug? And... Well, then, of course, I didn't know this, but you have to have the just correct widget to put the plug back. He said, I got that in my trunk. And three minutes later, we're back on the highway, and we're driving and drove for hours more. And 
I don't know. Was that just God's gift to make a person do that? Uh, Pam and I just looked at each other and go, you know, maybe God just sent us an angel. Um, one way or another, God looks after us. That's the point. Yeah, and I think we can rest in that with great insurance for moms and dads. We think about our kids that God's God's got them, and that's yes. a good thing. Well, I love our church family uh, because they are uh, they love the Word. They're students of the Word, and. Uh, it's always fun to preach that, but it's always the great challenge sometimes. So I made the comment uh, a couple weeks as we we're talking about Revelation chapter 12, that uh, that angels don't procreate, a set number that was there. And, uh, and somebody sent me a, a question, a good email along those lines. Well, if that's the case, how do we explain, as I'm reading along in Genesis chapter 6, what are the Nephilim? So I great Great question. So if you're not familiar with that, there's this fascinating little section right before the flood of interesting where it is placed, and it probably has some correlation. So I'm going to read this to you. And then uh, again, Jeff, this is why I have you here with me today to answer this one. And um, But here's really a question. Here's Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 8. If you've never seen this before, it's really interesting. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, you remember we talked about that on Sunday morning, saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for his flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. And the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. And they were mighty men who were old, men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on earth, and at every intention of thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then we have the story you're probably familiar with, with the great flood and Noah. So Jeff, we have this unique characters called the Nephilim that are there, a uh, couple different interpretations. What what are your thoughts as we think about really a really great question uh, that somebody sent in on this one? My thoughts are, what have I done that make you give me the hard questions? <laughs> so that's... <laughs> because I'll tell you, you do a little look on it. You've got godly, brilliant men and women on both sides and many of us who just say, I'm not totally sure these are some th- possible possibilities. Yep. And I think that's probably the right way to go. We could we could have 17 people in the room and there would be 19 different opinions <laughs> about what this all means, right? Yep. It's it I don't know that any of us really know for sure. What I often do when I come to these things, uh, some people find a very naturalist explanation for this, others find a very demonic one and there's and everything on the spectrum in between. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know. The because this one really comes down to this interpretation, right? What is the what is the definition of sons of God? Right. That's here. I think right. We're pretty familiar. And I think would understand the the daughters. Uh, uh, yes. You know, those are, those are women, uh, human creatures here on earth, mm-hmm. and so that idea of yes, yeah, sons of God, and we see it in Scripture used variety of different ways different at times. Ways. And the Book of Jude gives reference to this some um, as well. And what I tend to do, Brian, in these moments is I just go, all right. If I didn't know anything about God, then just what I just read right here, what you just read to us, what am I, what have I learned about? What do I know about God in this? Well, first, I I know this: the enemy of our souls doesn't play fair. Um, 
That's one thing I learned. I don't know which interpretation is accurate. I just know that the enemy of our souls, the one who is so rabidly against God, as you talked about in your message, that now he wants to ruin the people of God, will will just spare no expense and no thought of anything to try to ruin people. And we ought not to be surprised when the things of our own life, we go, I didn't see that coming. That doesn't seem fair. That seems, that's messed up. Well, of course it is. It's the part of the enemy in the fallen world. But then I also see that at the end of the day, God wins. God sets the boundaries. In this story, there's there's judgment ultimately for evil. And those who are righteous, Noah and his family, are redeemed. Those who have bought in and embraced the evil pathway, they pay a price for that. The day does come. It can seem to take a while at times, but it does come. And, and we know, if I remember right from other scripture on this part, that ultimately these, whether they're demons or whatever, let's go with that for the sake of this discussion. Yeah, let's, let's, let's maybe give two of the most go predominant views that are there. Uh, you know, the first one is that these would be uh, sons of God, these would be fallen angels, demons who come, uh, see that the women of earth are, are beautiful. They procreate with them, creating these offspring called the Nephilim. Uh, you brought up the passage which gives some credence to this. Some would lean to in, in Jude chapter 6, verse 6. And we know something. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but let their proper left their proper dwelling, he was kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So whether Jude 6 is referring specifically to this or not, we, we know there's some degree that angels left their appointed dominion, and your, your uh, insight is so helpful God is in control of all of these things. And even in the demonic world, when they left their dominion, God, in a snap of his fingers, puts them right into their place. So we know in Jude 6, there was something that happened where they went out of the assigned boundaries, so to speak, and God, in his punishment then, sets them aside in the gloomy darkness until the day of judgment. That verse would be where some would give evidence to this is actually, we're talking about fallen demons uh, that are there. So that gives some credence there. If that is your view, then I think your insight again of the great thing is we can trust in God being in control. I don't have to fear that this is going to rehappen again because those demons who were involved in this have been placed under God's uh, punishment to the point of there. So we have that a conclusion. The other one, as you mentioned, is a more naturalistic uh, impression. Who are these Nephilim? Sons of God. Another time could be the lineage of God. So these would be the descendants of Seth. And if you go back to the Old Testament, and some would say this is really just uh, an imagery of the sons of Seth who looked at the women who were not of the nation of Israel, that the pagans of the day found them more attractive than their own women, uh, reproduced with those women, spreading uh continue more evilness into the land, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. And so a very naturalistic thing, evil spreads because of the uh, cohabitating or unequally yoked marriages that spread that out. This was God's judgment on them. You struggle with that one. The idea of that one, that the, um, the angels did not pr uh, procreate with them, that comes back from, it's, it's interesting, in the, the book of Mark, um, the Sadducees are coming against Jesus, trying to trick him once again, and they ask this great question, as they always do, if a, if a brother, seven brothers, and the wife 
uh, one brother dies. And so the next brother takes the wife on to be his wife. And then he dies, goes through all seven at the end, at the end of heaven, these are very important questions. Whose wife will this one woman be at the end of this? And then Jesus says to them is not the reason you are wrong because you know, neither the scriptures nor the power of God for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So some would say that would give evidence to the fact of, again, angels are not procreating in these ideas. And so those folks would have a more naturalistic interpretation. This is more imagery of uh, the, the lineage of Seth. Either way, I think you're so right. We get to the point that God is in control. Uh, as I said, if, if Revelation is a secondary doctrine, the doctrine of Nephilim is probably about five or six <laughs> on where we would interpret yes. them as we go. But it's a fascinating deal. And some would say, well, obviously these are these were demons that came. This was the process. This is where Greek mythology talks about the Titans. And it kind of comes back to what we're talking about in this whole area is just balance. There, and I confess on my end, there is a tendency to love the dramatic stories of this and the idea of these giants and Titans intrigues me in such a way, or the supernatural has a real, um, I'm intrigued by all that. And so I find myself wanting to lean towards those conclusions so many times, but as we say so many times, it's a balanced approach. Let scripture kind of interpret scripture as we go on that. You know, I appreciate what you say about, you know, we do like the dramatic stories. We like that all these, it just feels cool to us. It, it, there's a part of us that like, we like watching Car, car wrecks in NASCAR, right? You know, it's like we just want to see those kind of things. But the reality is the most amazing things I have seen in relation to demonization, they're, they're nothing like the exorcist. They're nothing like that. They're actually very calm. And what's astounding is to watch a person set free. Now, it is dramatic, but it's not dramatic in the way that we think of with it's all not theatrical these. with Thank all of you. those things. That's yes. the right way to put it. And it's just to watch someone, whether it's their salvation, where they first come to meet Jesus and find freedom and forgiveness, or whether it's freedom from some sort of demonization in their life that has held them back and held them captive. And now they find freedom in Christ to match the identity that they have in Christ. Those are powerful moments. That's what we live for in ministry Jesus sets us free, and at the end of the day, he's in charge. It's interesting. You referenced um, Job in your recent message on this, the idea that Satan can't do a single thing, that God doesn't grant him the leeway, the privilege, if I could put it that way, to do. He, Even though he covets the place of God, he can't do a single thing without the permission of God. He he has no power. So ultimately, God is more powerful than Satan 100% of the time. Ultimately, there, it tells us, you referenced this out of Revelation 12, a third of the angels fell. Well, by the way, it tells us that the angels are myriad upon myriad. It's tens upon tens of thousands and un uncountable numbers. So if a third of them fell as demonic onto this planet, well, that's a lot. We ought not to think that there's this is a minor thing or not a big deal. There's a lot of unseen demonic world all around us. But there's at least twice as many that are fighting on our side. Mm, that's good. The angel armies of God. We have God who is all-powerful, Satan who can only mimic in lousy ways the things of God. 
and can only do what God would actually give him freedom to do. And we have twice as many fighting on our behalf as we do fighting against us. So that doesn't mean we should ignore all this, but it does mean we can be balanced and we can be free. And it's wonderful. Uh, That is a great word and maybe a great closing thought for us as we think about this this issue that the victory is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you, again, if you're listening to this today and, and this is an area of struggle and you have felt that, that weight, uh, and there are those things in your life where you just need some help and deliverance and freedom and joy from that. Again, as a church family, we'd love to come up uh, alongside you there and, uh, you can connect and contact us here at the church anytime to even talk with some of our folks in our deliverance ministry that's there. But the great word for us, again, and you've mentioned it numerous times because it really is where the power and the strength lies. You know, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so, friends, we have the victory. As we continue in the series in the book of Revelations, you, we will get to see that at the end of the day, the Lord reigns and nothing happens that doesn't run through his sovereign plans and all these things are under his control and his authority. And when he speaks it into being, it will happen. And so we, uh, we rest in that assurance and the joy that's there. Well, I hope that's been helpful for you. Just some tangible, tangible and very practical things as we think about this area of angels and demons. Jeff, thanks for uh, sharing your heart and uh, your insight with us today. Always an honor to be with you. And I'll see you on the basketball court. We will look forward to that. So we'll see you next week for another session on Off the Record.